Before we get into today's episode, my wife Sadie and I have a brand new album out entitled Good to Me. As so many of our listeners know, I am completely blind. And in this season of blindness, these are the songs that strengthen and carry our faith. We want to share this new project with you, and if you like what you hear, visit our website, awakenedtograce.com. Click the link called Store, purchase some products, and it all goes to the spreading of the gospel. Here is a song from our album, Good to Me. When the best of me is barely breathing When I'm not somebody I believe in Hold on to me When I miss the light the night has stolen When I'm slamming all the doors you've opened Hold on to me Hold on to me Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today we are in part two of a sermon entitled, If God is Good. We are in Genesis chapter 3. We're studying the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and how when the serpent came to Eve, when the temptation came to humanity, in essence, what Satan was saying is, if God is good, then why is he withholding something from you. 
Today is part two of this sermon where we learn that Satan's playbook, this is the same temptation he uses against us. He, it's the same page out of the same playbook. If God were good, then why are you going through what you're going through? Well, today is part two, and as we work our way through Genesis chapter three, I think many, many truths, many principles we're going to learn today from the Word of God. I'm glad you're with me today on Awakened to Grace. Worldliness. Now, is football worldly? How do you define it? I don't know what your interests are. I don't know what competes for your time. I don't know what takes the affections of your heart. But I know this. I can take something that's not worldly, like football, and I can make it worldly by allowing it to cool my affections for Jesus. I can let it compete for my time and my affections. So for example, my team lost in a great way yesterday. <laughs> I mean, they played a good first half, but that's, you know, if the first half counted, we would be great. But what if I let that affect my mood today? What if I was in a rotten mood because of the way my hobby went? See what I'm saying? That's cooling my affections for Jesus. Some of you, oh, Lord Jesus, help me right now. I'm going to step on toes. Some of you love your phone. But your phone is the greatest problem in your marriage. You know why? Because it steals your attention. It steals your affections. And if it is affecting your spouse, what is it doing to the Lord God Almighty? If it, it, it you're with me right now, right? Amen. Some of you are all about politics. And I like politics. I listen to too much politics, to be honest. I'll just confess. And I like to yell at the TV, and I like to, I like for it to rile me up. Isn't that awful? <laughs> I like to get mad about it and rant and go on. But see, if it cools my affections for Jesus, I have just let something that is important become worldly. Now say amen if you're with me right now. Amen. You know what I'm talking about. Don't, uh, it's not that everything is worldly. It's that we let things become worldly when they compete for our affections for Jesus. So he says, don't love the world or anything that's in the world for the, anyone who loves the world, then the love of the father is not in him. And then he goes on to define what's in the world. Look what he says, verse 16. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Huh. 
So here is the serpent telling Eve, God's not being good to you. God is withholding from you. And God doesn't have your best interest in mind. And then what does he bring before her? The same play he brings before us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now go back to Genesis 3 and look at verse 6 and look how it plays out. When she saw that it was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh. And a delight to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. And that it would make her wise like God. That's the pride of life. Do you see Satan's playbook exposed? Now what's the lust of the flesh? Well, that's that war between things of the spirit and things of the flesh in you. Sinful desires. There's a war that's always raging in you. You know... An old Native American who was born again was quoted saying this. He said, when it comes to the difference between the lust of the flesh and the things of the spirit, he said, it's like I have an evil dog and I have a good dog inside me. And they constantly fight one another. Actually, he said a wolf, if I'm not mistaken. A, 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 an evil wolf and a good wolf. And they're always fighting. They're always clashing. They're always battling. And he said, you know what wolf always wins the battle? The one I feed. The one I keep the strongest. And see, that's what Paul meant in Galatians when he said, you and I must crucify our flesh. We, we, either we're going to walk according to the things of the flesh and not of the spirit, or we're going to walk according to the things of the spirit and not gratify the things of the flesh. Do you see the difference? What do you keep stronger in your life? Do you feed the things of the spirit more or do you feed the things of the flesh more. And if you're someone that you're always intaking, always taking the eye gate, the ear gate, you're always taking in things of the flesh, worldly things, then friends, how in the world are you going to walk according to the spirit? The simple answer is you're not going to. You're not going to. The things of the eyes, the desires of the eyes. What does this mean? You know, it's actually quite interesting. If you study carefully the Bible, it does appear what Satan loves to use the most is the eye gate. Isn't that interesting? David overlooking the balcony to Bathsheba. But do you know what God seems to use the most in humanity? The ear gate. For what does Scripture say? He who has an ear, let him... Hear. Faith comes by hearing and, by the, and hearing by the word. God loves to use the hearing. Satan often uses the eyes. Why? Because of the lust of the eyes. And then, of course, the pride of life. How many people in our culture today where we value education, we value Knowledge. We value titles. How many people are filled with the pride of life because a certain title is attached to their name? Be on guard, my friend. 
You know, it's interesting to me when Jesus walked the earth, the short three years of his earthly ministry, you know what the Bible tells us he marveled at? Either faith or lack of faith. That's the only thing that Jesus was impressed with. Isn't that something else? He was never impressed with a title. He was never impressed with a position or with a skill or an ability or a talent. He was only impressed with faith. The same is true in my life and yours. You can't impress Jesus apart from faith. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 1 John 2, 16, it's the same playbook of Genesis chapter 3. And when she saw that it was good for food, lust of the flesh, delightful to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and would make her wise like God, the pride of life, then the snare was set. And the Bible says she partook of the fruit. Now, here's what the Bible doesn't tell us. Isn't it interesting, in our world today, everything is time-stamped, isn't it? That's fascinating to me. One thing that, you know, sometimes my imagination just wonders, and I wonder, you know, will the Lord almost, uh, in, I, I just think it'd be great if the Lord, just like a massive uh, video screen, will let us watch events of the past play out. Wouldn't you love to, actually see the events of the Garden of Eden. And if, 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 that, if we could see that, you know, one of my great questions would be, what's the timestamps of these events? How long was the serpent, how long was he in the garden before he talked to Eve? How long did he watch her? How long, the garden was so huge, how long did it take him to trap her at the tree of the garden of, the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Where was Adam in all of this? Was Adam there through the whole temptation? Or did he come after the serpent had left? The Bible didn't tell us. The only thing that the Bible says is that she partook of the fruit and then gave it to her husband. And then it says, who was with her? Now that leads me to believe he was there through the whole thing. It doesn't say who came up afterward, who came along later who was with her. That tells me it was in the present tense. If that's the case, then why didn't Adam say anything? Let me give a word to husbands right here. Men, it is your responsibility through and through to lead your family. It is not your wife's role and it is not her job and it is not on her shoulders to lead your family. It's your responsibility. And do you know where humanity got in trouble? When the wife became the initiator and the husband became the receiver. It's reversed in God's order. Where was Adam? What did he say? Well, let me propose something very intriguing. Say amen if you're with me right now. This is very intriguing. There are some scholars who wonder, and I wonder too, it makes me question out loud. What if Adam, just say Adam was not present and Eve was truly deceived, which she was, 
See, Romans 5 tells us the difference. Eve was deceived. Adam full-on rebelled. Adam knew full well what he was doing. Eve didn't. Remember, Eve wasn't even around when God gave the command. All of this is on Adam's shoulders. So, so follow the thinking here. Say Adam was not around at the time of the temptation and he comes, he strolls in later and he finds out what Eve had done. Adam knew what God had said. You will die. You know, what would have happened if Adam had stood his ground and said, you're in trouble and I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm not going to follow you. Would that mean that Eve would have eventually died and Adam would have lived forever in his perfect state of perfection? I don't know. But here's what some scholars think. Some scholars believe he loved Eve to such a degree he was not willing to live without her. Some believe that he sacrificed his eternity for the sake of Eve. Now, don't raise your hands, but husbands, how many of you love your wives to that degree? <laughs> huh. Huh. Well, we'll let you stew on that. Now, is that the case? I don't know. But I tell you what does make sense to me. Follow the logic. If Eve was deceived... And Adam, in full intention, in full knowledge, partook of the fruit and sacrificed himself and became sin for her. Now, the second Corinthians 5.21, not make a lot more sense. That Jesus was not willing to go without us. That he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that remarkable? I think there's a lot of truth to that. So Adam partakes of the fruit. You know what happens next? Verse number eight. Then God comes in the cool of the day, in the breeze of the evening, and looks for them. Adam, where are you? After raising small children, I have such an appreciation for that verse. As though God didn't know. And isn't it interesting to read the very first excuses that ever entered humanity? Well, I was hiding God because I, I, uh, I well, it's because I'm naked. Who told you you're naked? As though God didn't know any of this. You've done that with your children, right? Who broke this? And they're the only ones in the house. <laughs> Boy, we get it honest, don't we? We get it honest. And so he says, I'm naked. Well, who told you you're naked? Did you do what I told you not to do? Well, I, I can hear Adam now. <laughs> well, do you remember that rib you took? 
Ah, uh, you remember that? It, she did it. And so the first excuses form. And verse seven, now see, it's so easy to go from six to eight. But see, don't miss verse seven. When their eyes came open and they realized that they were naked, and I think that meant they lost the light of God. When they were truly stark naked, they sowed for themselves fig leaves. Now God comes on the scene and says, what have you done? Adam says, the woman you gave me did it. The woman says, the serpent did it. And so on and on, the excuses of humanity continue. And then God pronounces judgment. He tells Adam, the ground is cursed because of you. And when you die, you'll return to the dust from whence you came. Friends, let me tell you how critical it is that you understand Genesis 3. It's the reason you will die. It's the reason we all have an expiration date. It's the reason there's sickness in the world. It's the reason why there's lying and cheating and adultery and murder and rape and molestations and theft. This is the reason. You want to talk about calamity. Understand the weightiness the gravity of Genesis chapter three. And so they sow for themselves these loincloths. They sow fig leaves trying to cover themselves, trying to cover what they've done, but it's not sufficient. And so God pronounces judgment on the man. And then God pronounces judgment on the earth, on the ground itself. God pronounces judgment upon the woman. And then God pronounces judgment upon the serpent. And then look at verse 21 and look what God in his grace does. Now, see, it's so easy to miss this. God takes animal skins and covers them. Why? Because, friends, what is the eternal principle? What is the biblical and universal and eternal principle of sin? There is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. You got it. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Do you know why? <clears throat> you realize there are many churches today that won't talk about the blood of Jesus. Any song that says the blood, they remove it because in their minds they're saying, no, this is, oh, no, no, these are the 2000s. We gotta be careful, that's gory. That's good. No, people, that will repel people. Friends, do you know why it takes the blood of Jesus for the remission of sin? Because sin is death. And what entered into the garden that day, what entered into humanity that day was death. And do you know what the Bible says is life? The life of the flesh is in the blood. Do you know how George Washington died? <laughs> in those days, in the colonial days, they believed that if you got sick, they would attach leeches all over you to drain the blood. They didn't have that biblical knowledge. The life of the flesh is in the blood. 
And what is in the natural is in the spiritual. The only way to replace death and the wages of sin is death. The only way to give it life is blood. And that's why only the blood of the lamb will suffice. That's why your good intentions and your good morality are no better than fig leaves. If you enjoyed today's broadcast and would like to hear more great content, you can always download our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, where you can request prayer, find sermons, articles, blogs, music, podcasts, as well as support us financially. You can also visit either of our websites at www.preachingchristchurch.com or www.awakenedtograce.com for more information about our church or our resource ministry. Thank you for listening to Awakened to Grace.